0: Welcome to You Here, Big Girls, Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Taku. And just Mom Taku this time, Luna and I are trying something new. With the explosion of new Attack on Titan information coming out right now, we decided to break the podcast into two segments a manga discussion and then anime news and events. So, this is the manga discussion. Luna recorded her anime podcast earlier today with our friend Coffee Life to talk about some of the events in Japan as well as the anime. So I don't know who's going to get done first, but look for two podcasts this month instead of one. This is our manga discussion. We'll be talking about chapter 135. And I have two guests. The first is Tumblr's Levi Skinny Jeans, who now goes by LSJ. They are somebody that predates me in the fandom. They used to run a news and information blog, and also were a fandom translator. Welcome, LSJ.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Ellis Um I was a guest for the very first uh, podcast here for you here, Big Girls. I'm back here again with another far-fetched Ymir theory and some <laughs> Raybert Vore.
0: And joining us is my friend from the Anniversary Podcast, a writer uh, in my end of the fandom, the Aruri fandom, my friend Brienne. Brienne, welcome. We're excited to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. So we always start off with chapter impressions, and this is our chance just to spend a minute or two talking about our general thoughts about 135, whether we loved it or hated, if we had a favorite part or any disappointments. And I know, Brienne, you actually just read the chapter, so this is all going to be very fresh to you. What did you think about chapter 135? It was a
2: lot. (laughs) Uh, Definitely, um, I guess the thing that really stuck out to me the most was I definitely thought we'd be getting some major character deaths this month. And we did not, or at least they are in the making if they are coming. So I thought people would be dropping like flies by now, but they're not. I feel like it also opened up a lot of loose ends instead of beginning to tie stuff up, but then you also get a lot more theories about things that may be happening based on information we got this chapter. So it didn't seem like to me a chapter, you know, coming towards the end of the entire series, but I enjoyed seeing everybody on the page. It was definitely action packed, but. I feel like we definitely got a lot of development too, just with individual storylines. So yeah, it is still fresh. I'm still, I'm still trying to process a little bit, but I enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was fun to read.
0: And what about you, Alice J? I know you've waited a very long time for the return of Berthold Hoover. <laughs> what did you think?
1: Um, I loved this chapter. Um, I haven't been this excited about the manga in a very long time. Primarily because Bertolt is back and I have a lot of thoughts about the symbolism and themes and how this might tie into the finale. But um, I felt like this chapter was a chapter that had just a little bit of something for everyone. Um, it was very good in regards to the action. We saw things we've never seen before and we have new theories about this series, which is actually really refreshing, especially this far into it. We had um, some sweet bonding moments between uh, Jean and Reiner and Mikasa and Levi. We we had some humor. We had some whatever happened to to Armin. So so everyone was like slightly catered to. And I think if I think if the rest of the chapters are like this one, then we are heading towards a great finale.
0: Yeah, I I haven't been this excited about a chapter in a long time. And I'm I'm trying to decide: is it like am I running? Like on this huge high because the anime was great, but I don't think so. Like I loved this chapter, and to me, it was almost like classic. We're going back to classic Attack on Titan, right? It was a little bit campy. It almost felt like some B movie horror, which made it a lot of fun. I mean, I shouldn't be saying this chapter was fun, but to me, it was just wildly entertaining, like a pure adrenaline ride. I I actually I know Brian, you mentioned the lack of deaths. I had no issue with that at all this month because. Anytime that there's a death, it requires a pause in the action and things have to slow down. There has to be that weight and that emotional impact. And this one was just a thrill ride from start to end. There was like no time for anything except action. And I just, I really loved it.
1: I would say that I agree with you, Mom Taku, that I feel like it's just a little, a little early for deaths. We're in the beginning of volume 34. And so I feel like we still have time for people to die if they are going to die. And I know that one character that everyone kind of expected to to die was Anyankapon. I am actually very against the death of Anyankapon because he is our only representative from the outside world, part of the action, part of like the main cast. And so I feel like something would really be taken away if he were if he were to die, especially this late in the manga when we still have quite a large cast of our of our main uh, Paradisi crew.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, Anyang Kapan always felt to me like one of the true innocents. Like, he literally became a volunteer because he wanted to help. He's like, somebody keep him alive. So I was not at all disappointed that he was lying there with Annie's dad. I thought that was kind of cool. I think the fandom, I'm trying to think back to last month's poll. The majority of people thought that he would be injured, but okay. So I don't think there was any huge surprise there that Anyang Kapan lives. It was a good moment. So the title of this chapter was Battle of Heaven and Earth. One of the reasons why I love being on the poll team is because the people that are on it are very, very smart people. And we sat around discussing what this could possibly mean. What is it talking about, Battle of Heaven and Earth? We actually came up with like three or four obvious ones uh, and then a couple not so obvious but what did you guys, did you, was there any significance of this title? Brienne, what did you think about Battle of Heaven and Earth as far as what Siam was trying to say with that?
2: I mean, I'm never going to try and guess what he's trying to say, but uh, <laughs> definitely, I mean, my like baseline feel from it was like all of these things being like reanimated from the dead. But then I also wouldn't go so far as to say those shifters would be from heaven so well, that's a bit of a stretch for me but that's like the first thing I kind of clung to but I do kind of agree with the option about the godlike power of Vermeer being the heaven and you know the alliance being the earth but that's I don't know
0: usually my friend translator uh Suki no Yura, she'll do like all the different options that it could possibly mean and I'm really looking forward to her doing that this month And if she has it done before we publish this, I'll be sure to link to it. But I really was excited about the idea of Battle of Heaven and Earth being like these elements from the heavens, or, you know, like you were saying, the reincarnated, recreated cast members of the past. But I also like the idea that Emir and Aaron are like the Earth Devils and that the Survey Corps, Wings of Freedom, represent the heaven in this, especially when you consider a Falco flying in to to carry them away. So I think there's just a lot of ways that it could go.
1: Oh, I actually never thought of it like that. I was actually leaning more towards your first interpretation, Mom Talk you, where the reanimated Titan shifters are the heaven in, in the sense that they are no longer alive. So they are from like the they're on another plane versus like our more earthly counterparts. I think there's kind of like, there could possibly be a tie-in with um, some of the Colossal Titan imagery. There was an interview, I think it was around like 20, 2018, um, that I helped translate. And so Isiyama had indicated that the Colossal Titan appearing like the god of um, the SNK world was very important uh, to the series as a whole. And so Colossal Titan just like bursting out, um, just kind of glaring at all of our main cast, like from above. I thought that was kind of like evocative of that um, that imagery of them being on this separate plane versus our more earthly um, protagonists.
0: It's so funny that I think, what, three months ago, we had that like vision of the afterlife and everybody was like, nope, no afterlife, nope, no afterlife. And then this chapter comes along and it's like, hello, afterlife.
2: I'm one of those people. <laughs>
0: I know, and Luna's <laughs> not here to yell at me, so we can just talk about the afterlife and what that means for this series.
2: See, if this was a couple of chapters ago, I'd be yelling at you. I was uh, totally against all of that, but now it's kind of, it's really hard to ignore any of that.
1: I, I Hey, I got Luna to say that I might have a point, so uh, we'll, wow. we'll, we'll see.
0: You'll have to tell me what your logic was, because I very rarely get Luna to agree that I have a point. <laughs> Well, the chapter starts off with OG Ymir. And I could not, like, of all the scenes for us to lead a chapter with, I never expected it to be her letting the pigs out. I mean, that's something we actually debated when this first happened. And here we see her with those pigs, actually, with the gate open. I think most of the discussion I've seen this chapter has been involved around OG Ymir. Just, I mean, we know so, we know nothing about this person. She has yet to say a line. In this manga, when you saw her letting the pigs out, did it change your impressions of her? I
1: actually um, think this was kind of a welcome change. So I I never really had strong opinions on whether or not Ymir actually let them go because I didn't think it was really that important. But it kind of gives her like a more humanizing aspect to her. So far, we've just seen her as someone who's been uh, suffering and is a goddess but we kind of see her doing this very human act of um, freeing these animals that um, were most likely going to get slaughtered. Just to kind of go back to um, some of the imagery with the race family, um, we still have that book about Ymir, about the first king, and it always starts off, whenever we hear that story, it always starts off with, Krista was a very kind girl who thought of other people. I wonder possibly if it's not just manipulation from the race family to just kind of continue the cycle of self-sacrifice. But I wonder if that might possibly be true as a whole. She might actually have been a kind person. And and I think Ymir being a kind person would actually be really beneficial to people who really like that uh, Taknu Jutsu uh, route for the finale. I'm not quite there yet, so like I, I don't feel like too strongly um, either way in regards to whether or not she freed them.
0: See, that's my question: was is this an act of defiance or is it an act of kindness? I think on the poll we asked that, you know, what is this? Is this that she was always team freedom? Is she the kind of person that resents people being kept in cages? And that's actually the option that's winning right now, which is kind of funny to me. Like, is this an act of compassion? Is it an act of defiance? I mean, we clearly don't have enough. To go on that. But the transition now, we have her looking at these pigs opening this gate, and then suddenly she's looking at the Alliance. Are those scenes connected? Brienne, did you have anything for that?
2: Yeah, the way I viewed that was I don't know. She kind of appears to me in that moment to be like a shitster. Like she just kind of wants to watch the <laughs> so I don't know. Like I don't know why I get this vibe from her. But to go from her letting the pigs out to watching, what I assume is her about to unleash all of these, you know, previous shifters on the alliance, that's that I cu- I couldn't get that out of my head. I don't know that she's reminiscing about what she did, but I'm beginning to believe she has more power here than we originally thought. and she's just like, all right, I'll just let these shifters go and. We'll see what happens. And it almost looks like she's just like watching, like anxious to see what's going to happen.
0: Well, it's like the last time we saw her was with Ramsey and Halil and she was just watching. Right. So she's definitely like, I don't know, like I don't trust a Sayami here. Here we've got this cute little girl in her little ratty clothes. And I mean, I don't want her to be the big bad of the series. But at the same time, I don't know that we're supposed to be viewing her as benevolent or potentially benevolent. I think a lot of people are expecting either her or Aaron to to swerve on this. Like they're both out to kill the world and one of them's going to show a moment of compassion, maybe stop the madness. But I I'm not seeing a lot of compassion here.
2: Absolutely not. And then back in oh, I'm so bad with the chapter numbers. Uh 130. I think I even mentioned this in my anniversary podcast little chapter impression thing, but the fact that she was just standing there and, like, my first gut instinct was, like, she's this angel of death that's just watching this happen. And then I was like, nah, not this little girl. Like, they wouldn't do that to us. But now I am I just, I can't unsee it now.
0: So you're a little suspicious of her or? I feel like,
2: I don't want to say she's misunderstood because I I don't think anybody understands her right now. But, mm-hmm. I am suspicious of her. Uh, I actually went back and, and reread I think it's 122 where we get all of her backstory and then Aaron tells her he's giving the choice to her and she has a right to choose and I saw that last night and I was like okay yeah there's something going on here so I am suspicious of her. I'm not saying her like base intentions aren't like good but I don't know that she's technically going about it the right way but I got my eye on her and I'm just going to see what happens at this point I'm not even going to guess anymore
1: like Aaron said she's like she's not a devil she's not a god she's just she's just a human being and when human beings have suffered for a long time they tend to lash out and so what we are probably seeing is her anger at having been forced into her current situation and I think what we are likely to see is Probably a moment of compassion, and if not compassion from her, at least at least a moment of hesitance from her. I don't necessarily think she's evil, and I don't think that she's going to uh, end up being the big bad. I'm super fond of Aaron being the big bad, but I think there's a little bit of I think there's a little bit more nuance to both characters that E.C.M. Um, is going to expand upon in the next few chapters. As he stated um, in an earlier interview. He wants to tell a story where there are no real villains or um, heroes. It's just a matter of perspective.
0: You know what? That's such a cop out to me. Like, I just can't <laughs> even believe he said, like, there are clearly a distinction here. But, you know, okay, Yaseyama, you keep telling yourself that.
1: I agree with you there. I don't, I don't necessarily like it, especially in regards to how understanding some of these characters are. To a complete and utter flaw that they try so hard to understand other people that it, it just it it's beyond the levels of human comprehension that a person be this understanding but if that's the manga that Isiyama wants to tell then go ahead.
0: I'm with Brienne on this I mean the jury is out I'm watching her though I, I just I don't understand even after 2,000 years of suffering and building titans the level of rage to sit there and and just start skewering people like that's a lot of rage you know like if it was me after 2000 years and i was free i'd probably want a nap not let me go watch these kids die and you know i, I probably would have a more hands off approach than what we're seeing here but it's going to be interesting like you were saying brienne it's like all this stuff is getting set up still like we're we're still setting up for the ending it's this mystery box approach to telling a story where each chapter there's a, a new bit of the mystery being added. I'm anxious to see it solved. I, I, I'm i anxious to see what happens next. And I guess that's the point of a monthly manga that we keep coming back every month because, you know, the mysteries are never ending.
1: I kind of wanted to point out that uh, Ymir reminds me a little bit of both Grisha and Faye. Grisha inevitably led to both of his sons becoming titan shifters and becoming extremists from a singular act of naive kindness. He allowed Faye to see the balloons and she ends up getting uh, eaten, by, eaten alive by dogs. When we go back to chapter 122, Ymir frees the pigs. And for freeing those pigs, she is chased down by wild dogs and uh, has an eye gouged out. She suffers in um, in a similar way to to Fae in regards to having been attacked for that, and then you have her kind of like Grisha too, where she kind of has to suffer afterwards as a Titan shifter. Hmm. But uh, she did remind me a lot of Fae, especially especially with the dogs, and I think that's something that will probably end up coming back, um, especially when you think of. I can't remember the chapter, but there was a chapter where Aaron is thinking of Armin and he gets a, fa- a flashback of Fay, ha- her corpse, having been eaten alive by dogs. So I think, I think that imagery is going to come back in a big way.
0: You know what? It's giving me flashbacks of the um, Historia chapter where we learn uh, who Historia is and Frida's screaming at her not to cross the fence. I know it's not related, but, you know, just the, even the imagery of, of Historia in a farm. I guess she was Krista back then in a farmyard, uh, sitting at the fence and being told not to cross it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so th- there was a new power revealed this chapter. And I know the text in the manga when Peak is explaining what's happening. She said it was a founder ability to be able to resurrect the nine titans. Do you guys think it's Eren doing this or OG Ymir? Does Eren know that that's a thing he can do? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with Brienne on that
1: one. I kind of lean, I'm leaning towards this being Ymir.
2: I never give Eren credit for anything. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) But I, I mean, I just, I don't think that that is something he is thinking about. And I don't know that he even knows
0: he can do that. Okay, so even though it says founding Titan, we all think that this is OG Emir's fun new power-up.
1: Mm, I, I kind of feel like she, she's, con- so she's connected to the fa- founder and she can use that power because she's following Aaron's directive. But Aaron's not necessarily saying like, oh, do this. He essentially gave her, um, I guess the equivalent of a bunch of play money and told her go wild with it.
0: Okay. So he's basically her battery at this point. She's borrowing from him to be able to create this Titan playground that she's got going. So is that how we're, how we're seeing this?
1: I think it's more like the directive. So for example, like say we have a boss and like an overqualified intern, right? Overqualified intern's not going to do anything until the boss gives them, gives them a message to do something. So I kind of feel like it's that. Aaron's essentially told Ymir, take care of it. And she's doing whatever she she feels necessary to take care of it.
2: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I feel like Ymir's just kind of been along for the ride ever since Aaron, I don't know, freed her. Is that what we're calling it? I, I feel like he's probably just saying, you know, protect me or this is what I'm doing. You You do what you got to do. So I think, yeah, she's probably working through him and is just going at it.
1: And I don't necessarily even agree with the idea that she's free. I feel like she's still bound to what Aaron is telling her. So Aaron told her to start the rumbling and maybe he's given her a little bit more freedom in her actions. But she's still a slave to the directive that Aaron gave her.
0: I think in the poll, we asked people what they thought the relationship between the two was. And the most common response was that they're teammates. They're basically just side by side working together that there's not one or the other that's in a greater position of power at this point. But I honestly don't have any opinion on that. I'm just, you know, again, this is one of those things where we're still opening the mystery box. So I think either, I think, I mean, I I think that that would work.
1: Um, I feel like they're kind of, um, they're loosely connected for now. So- So I feel like Ymir still is forced to, um, do whatever Aaron says, but I feel like there might be something that could break the connection. We'll, we'll kind of see how that progresses throughout the finale. They're working together for now because he, Aaron was able to reach something inside of her, but I feel like he still has like a large monocle of control over her.
2: I think the only opinion I have on whether or not they're working together or separate is if if we have any hope and I mean I don't necessarily want Aaron to be redeemed but if we have any hope of that he cannot be the only player in this game right now. There's got to be some outside force if he's not going to, you know, come out on the other end of this getting redeemed. If he's if he's supposed to be the villain and he's going to die the villain then it's all him but I mean, I think that's the only way out of here is if she has some control over him, if we're going to get the pity party for Aaron and have a (laughs) redemption arc at the end.
0: I do think this chapter made it very clear that she's in that role of protector. Because was it two chapters ago when the Alliance was in Paths and they're they're talking to kid Aaron and as they run towards him, OG Emir shows up and suddenly Mikasa and Armin are knocked back. They're suddenly behind where Levi is standing, whereas before they were in front. So we, she's doing that again, except this time she's using those Titans. I don't know what power she used in past, but she physically was able to knock them backwards. This time she's using the Titans to do the same task. So protect Eren is definitely her mandate right now.
1: That kind of leads me to an interesting question. Do you guys think that Ymir is limited to the power of the nine Titans, or do you think that she has additional abilities as a goddess? now that she she's essentially given full access to her abilities, having been directed by Aaron.
0: I mean, in story, she's capable of anything, right? I mean, Isayama at this point has written kind of like these loose rules of, or not even rules. I mean, it's just like, here's a new power. You get a new power. You get a new power, which is fine, right? I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm going to pull
2: from the from the source material here. Zeke says... Once the founder begins to move, nothing in this world can stop her.
0: Is she the founder?
2: I mean, I think that goes back to what kind of power has she been given?
0: I mean, I guess ultimately she is the founder. She's the one that started all this. She's the
1: originator Titan, and the power of the founder comes from her. So when she when she was um, her body was eaten in chapter one twenty two three branches pop up into paths whenever um, whenever they eat her body. And so we assume that those are the three powers of the Titans that um, her daughters had inherited. If that all comes from her, then isn't that to say that she has that power, like she had that power originally, if the Founder is a um, break-off of her original
2: power? I mean, that makes sense to me.
0: Well... Either Emir or Aaron, one of them, and now has this you know brand new found ability to be able to bring back the Titans of the past. and here we go. Did you guys like the development of the like really fantastical creatures that we saw this chapter?
2: I think it was fun, so I usually read really fast and get all the information, then go back and kind of pick it apart and going back and just slowly looking at everything was interesting and terrifying and but also really cool and I don't know if I like the development, but I don't mind that we got to see some of it.
0: If anything, it made Falco's Titan kind of fit right in. Part of me thinks like this was Isayama's last chance to really have fun with his manga. You know, he clearly loves creating these Titan designs. So being able to like pull out all the stops and just create, you know, the deer Titan, the thing Titan, the mummy Titan. What did we count? Maybe 15 unique Titan types? You know, I think he was having a lot of fun with it. And I I had a lot of fun with it too.
1: I really enjoyed this part of the manga as well because I'd always I'd always been curious about what the um, predecessor Titan Shifters looked like, and now we have now we have an alligator Titan, we have a thing Titan, we have a we have a goat, we have so many different Titans now. And this kind of actually um, kind of to jet back to um, the previous question about um, Ymir's powers. So could this possibly be how the colossal Titans were? created like the wall titans so um for example like we're not sure what's in those colossal titans if anything at all could it be that they're all essentially like versions of this of of these titan shifters like like bodies or something i think the titan shifters in particular are more special and i'll I'll go into that a little later on but but i i kind of wonder if if this this is kind of part of that ability you know that ability to create titans
0: you know my crack theory, although I don't think it's a crack theory. Like I'm convinced that the Wall Titans are the dead Eldians. Like there, there was no original population on Paradise, or they did not find millions and millions of people to form a concentric circle and poof them into existence as colossals. I started thinking that back when the afterlife was kind of first hinted at, and this chapter kind of convinced me. Like the the dead are all just weapon storage and. I personally think that those colossal titans are probably the dead, like the dead Eldians of of the past, being repurposed in this way. I mean, probably not, but it's my my theory for now. It just it makes sense to me that Emir, you know, we've we've seen that tree. We we know she's connected. If she can pull up the dead shifters, why can't she pull up any of the dead? If they're all connected anyway, you know, resurrect an echo of them, or just enough of them that she can use them as a weapon. We did get an ask from Monica so on Twitter, and it's a little bit long. I'm going to go ahead and read it. She writes, "I was rewatching everything, and it seemed to me that Aaron inherited Ymir's will to be free and her anger. We see Emir set the pigs free. It really was her." Maybe because she wanted them to free, but by doing so, she became even more enslaved. My question is this, do you guys think that Emir saw through paths that Aaron wished for freedom and that she could enhance it with her anger, like she somehow chose him to help her become free so that this is the only way for them both to be free? Maybe Aaron is doing this for her sake too. So I think this kind of plays into, what was it, chapter 120, wherever Aaron talks to her and says... You know, were you always calling me? I don't remember the exact dialogue. Were you leading me here? Didn't he say something like that to Emir? I have
2: the volume right in front of me, if you want. Mm. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Were you the one who led me here? You must have been waiting all this time, waiting 2,000 years just for somebody.
0: I mean, maybe. Once we get into the time loopy stuff,
2: I just kind of check out and go, whatever <laughs> happens is gonna happen. I don't even.
0: <laughs> what chapter is that, Brian? 120- one twenty.
2: One twenty-two. I think. Let All me right. confirm. Yeah, it's one twenty-two.
0: This is kind of a difficult question because
1: then it it kind of goes into, do we. Do we think that Ymir or Ymir is controlling Aaron or Aaron uh, is controlling Ymir? And that, that's kind of like a loaded question in of itself.
0: But let's not forget the title of chapter one is to you in 2000 years. So if Ymir is after 2000 years finding Aaron, she would be the answer to that, to you in 2000 years.
2: And that's the that's title of chapter 122 is from oh. you 2000 years ago. Hmm.
1: So she likely was calling out to him, but I wonder maybe, do you think she possibly saw the rumbling occurring or did she just feel Aaron's energy, like, um, feel how Aaron was? And so she felt that he was the best person to help, to help her, um, become free.
0: I mean, that's what Monica So's question is exactly that, that was there sort of this, um, Cosmic connection that she felt with with Aaron. What's funny is that do you guys remember when uh, Freckledy Mir gets her power and she has that vision of paths as she's sitting there naked, laughing? You know, she actually sees the same vision that Zeke sees that um, you know that we see when we get into that Paths realm. I always kind of felt like, oh, I guess I wanted to think that that was Og Ymir kind of communicating with Freckledy that. There was that connection there between the two. Yeah, maybe, maybe the connection was with Aaron all along.
2: I feel like it's complicated because it's almost like it, it's a good question. It's like, I don't know. I think it's kind of like what came first. Like, did she seek him out? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to even theorize about that right now because we have so little information.
0: Yeah. I mean, he said it. He said the words. And then with the two th- to you in 2,000 years, that's further evidence. So I don't know. What it tells me is that we still have so many mysteries to unpack. I'm so scared. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> so going back to the, um, the Titan battle, the chapter actually opened up with the discovery. I think nobody was surprised by this, that Zeke was actually an empty shell, that that was not Zeke. And this was uh, something a lot of people have been wondering about. We've been waiting for Zeke now since chapter 122, I guess, or something. I don't remember the last time we saw him, but it's been forever. Do you guys think the fact that these other Titans are clearly the dead repurposed Titans, does it mean anything for Zeke? Is this proof that he's dead?
2: Not so fast. I don't know. I just He's got to still be alive somewhere.
0: Yeah. I
2: think if the founder is that powerful to do all of the things that are happening right now. There's no reason they can't reincarnate a a husk of a beast titan while the actual beast titan is somewhere else.
0: Last time we saw Zeke, he was reaching out for them. He was just about to make physical contact. So my thinking too is that you know we've seen that touch is very important. She could just be harnessing his power because clearly that particular beast titan that she formed had the same abilities as Zeke. So, I mean, she might be bleeding off of him as well. You know, being able to tap into his own whether he's alive or dead or not. Wh- whatever's up with Zeke, he he has a consciousness, I'm sure of that. If he's still in paths, whatever. He's there's no way that he's like gone gone. Right?
2: And I think it's important to remember too that like like you said, they were touching that's how this whole thing started. And then thinking back to like female titan they were talking about, they were worried about Aaron merging with her like there's no reason that this big thing isn't both Aaron and Zeke
0: mm-hmm.
2: that not that he has any control over what's going on but also i feel like he probably still would need to be alive for any of this to work the whole theory like killing Zeke might end the connection so if that's true he'd have i mean i don't know if his dead body still technically has royal blood <laughs> i mean <laughs> oh that's kind of uh- it's a technicality there but and then also, we have one one um, example of Aaron using royal blood to control Titans when he punches Dina's hand, and he ha- There is some type of momentary effect, like he doesn't have to maintain contact with her the whole time while he's you know sicking Titans on on uh, Bert and Reiner. But it does wear. I'm assuming it does wear off eventually. So even if he had touch sick that one time, I don't think it's going to like stick.
1: I'm kind of wondering if Zeke has been dead this whole time because, um, Zeke was resurrected by Ymir, right? And his body was recreated by Ymir inside the body of a titan. So what if he's technically just been more, more or less like a Ymir puppet the whole time, just, just not really conscious of it or, or kind of like, kind of like something like a golem, I guess. So Zeke's body, like his actual physical body was created by Ymir. So, Wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense that she should still have some semblance, some semblance of control over that, I guess? Because I felt like, I felt like it was really, really strange that she specifically resurrected Zeke. Like it was like, it was very specific that he had to die at that moment.
0: When I remember when that happened, I assumed, again, this kind of goes to Monica So's question. That she knew that Zeke was needed to get Aaron to paths. Like I do think that Emir has been targeting that everything that she's done is leading to this moment with Aaron and Zeke was essential. Zeke needed to be the one to take Aaron on that walk through paths, memory lane or whatever. I feel like that's why she resurrected Zeke. The more I think about it, the more I think, I think Monica sews onto something that, you know, yeah, Emir targeted Aaron and all of this. Even Kruger's words about get married, anybody, find somebody, have a child, you know, all of this was, was the setup for Aaron Yeager.
1: I just had a thought, and I know that everyone here is going to hate it, and I hate it too. Wouldn't that it just be the most awful thing on the planet if, if that scene was essentially used to point out that Ymir can bring people back to life as humans?
0: Yeah, I have no trouble with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you imagine if SNK, the series that had the reputation of killing off everybody, just brought back a vast majority of their dead characters at the end? How infuriating would that be?
0: I mean, I know in my conversations with people, they're so upset about this whole afterlife spin because they're so afraid of exactly that happening, and I think they're so desperate for Hanji's vision just to have been a vision and not anything true. I think Isayama's smarter than that. That would really would upset people. I, this I don't trust that man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we like like at max. If, if Isayama were to do that, like maybe one one or two people, like one person, I guess. If someone were to be a at the end, Reiko <laughs> Freckle Reiko
0: like, why is everybody, this, okay, this is what gets me. Like, this this theory, I'm talking to all of you guys in Andrew's server, this Requiem theory where O.G. Ymir is going to be reborn as Historia's baby. Why does she get the do-over and nobody else? Like, if we're going to have a resurrected character, I don't want it to be O.G. Ymir. Can we pick somebody else? Well, let me get to this. Are we all in agreement? Yes or no? Do these r- resurrected, what do we want to call them? Recreated? Resurrected? Titans have a semblance of their first consciousness? Are they, are they empty husks that she's controlling or do they still have a little bit of their soul?
1: I think in the same chapter, we kind of are given a hint towards the answer. I think that um, they do have some semblance of consciousness still in there. Maybe their souls still exist somewhere in paths or elsewhere, um, but they are being forced against their will to work for Ymir. And, and possibly it could be that some, some of the Titan shifters are more conscious than others. Um, so for example, I wouldn't necessarily say that the alligator Titan would be as conscious as someone who died recently and has connections, personal connections with our main cast.
0: What do you think, Brianne? reanimated souls or are they just reanimated shells?
2: I'm hoping it's just the shells. I really don't want to, (laughs) I don't want to think about the consequences of these, these souls being trapped essentially. And I, I think that like everybody, you know, talking about Zeke and his ability to throw stones and stuff, maybe that's just like muscle memory sort of thing and less of a mental sort of, I guess, animation I'm, I'm hoping it's just that the body is being reanimated and less of the, you know, we're actually bringing all of these people back from the dead, truly.
0: I think the evidence against that, though, is that, you know, like we saw Marcel's Titan actually try to defend Galliard. We saw Burt crying at the thought of having to harm Reiner. Like it did seem like there was a conscious. Now, whether you're like it's an echo or a muscle memory, I mean, I guess that's up for debate. But their personalities were still there.
1: I think told just threw a massive wrench at everyone who is against afterlife theory. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of theory in regards to that.
2: I know the the Bert part just throws me off. Because up until that point, I'm like, okay, I'll, whatever, we're reanimating Titans. And then you see him and it just kind of, and it's so stark on the page. It just kind of st- stops you and you're like, okay, what is actually going on here? So that's, it's tough.
0: Well, so far in the poll, we did ask this. You know, we gave people the option of of why does Armin have this vision of Bertolt? And twenty five percent think that Bert has awareness from the afterlife. So one one in four people think that this is an awareness. Forty percent think that it's just a fragment of Bertolt that was brought back, and then twenty five percent think that Armin is just having a memory, like just the regular old Titan inheritance memory. So one in four think that he has a level of, of awareness, which is actually higher than I thought it would be.
1: I'm leaning towards that he has some semblance of uh, consciousness because I think it's, it's very, very specific that he starts crying the instant that his titan is used against Reiner and he's forced to try to eat Reiner. I think that's very... Very specific, especially in regards to the relationship with each other, um, how Bertolt was always, um, trying, trying to save Reiner and uh, care for him. But outside of that, outside of that just personal relationship, I think that, um, this is a direct callback to chapter 85. If we think back to, uh, chapter 85, we see the skeletal colossal titan. Um, he's crying out of one eye, the same eye that we see Bertolt currently crying out of. And he's telling Armin that it hurts
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: that it's hurt so so with this idea it, it seems it seems to be you, you kind of get in your head it's like what hurts like are, are you still are you still there are you, are you still suffering somewhere out there so I feel like I feel like this this callback is definitely is definitely intentional and even if you just look at the panel's so, whenever Armin wakes up after being resurrected, so the colossal titan is in dark, and then the panels end, um, end with it bright and Armin waking up. Right here in, uh, chapter 135, Armin is falling backwards into the darkness, and that's when he sees Bertolt again.
0: Like, you're definitely of the, in the camp that they are, they still exist in some kind of a realm. Yes. Yes. And in the poll, we tried to drill in on that a little bit more. Does this chapter add evidence to the theory that there is some sort of an afterlife? And now we've got 55% saying yes.
1: Good old Bert, accidentally giving us a survey core happy ending.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's nothing happy about this end. If there's an afterlife, it's not a nice one. It's not a good one. This is Unless you're in
1: Hanji afterlife. Hanji afterlife seems pretty sweet. Uh, hanging yeah. out with all your old buddies, telling stories to Erwin. That seems like a pretty sweet afterlife out there.
0: Until until OG Amir decides she wants to mess with Levi, so she reanimates them to torment him, then it's not so fun anymore. Stop. I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> you know it's coming. No, I don't think it's coming. But Irwin's coming back to Vor Levi. I know. Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> the possibility is there. <laughs> I mean, Valhalla was basically weaponry storage. It was hanging on to those old you know, warriors so that they could be used for Ragnarok. So if OG Ymir has been collecting these souls or if she can reanimate them when she wants to as weaponry, then, then anything is possible. The story could go anywhere. Let's move to something happier. <laughs> so I didn't ask you guys this. Who was your MVP?
2: I really had a soft spot for Jean in this chapter. For some reason, I don't know why. I think seeing him get Reiner out of and save him from Bert chomping on him, like really just kind of, it's like, whew, like lifted a weight off of my shoulders. But also, I really, I just enjoyed seeing him help him. But I feel like everybody, lots of people did lots of things in this chapter. I, I started a list somewhere. When I couldn't keep track of anymore of who saved who, and it just everybody did something, I kind of really appreciated Peek just going Aaron ate my friend, <laughs> just going <laughs> for it in front of everybody. So I guess props to her, but I I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna just pass on that one. <laughs>
0: it's tough. Peek is such a good character. Like I I am so in love with her right now. Like I was thinking back to which chapter was it? Like 121 or right before when when she shows up on Paradise and like faces Aaron with the gun, you know, and then and then walks up to the roof and like points at Aaron Yeager. Like she is just she is such a badass, guys. I mean Honestly, like, I hope tribute videos, as soon as that anime's done, like, let's just have a tribute video of all of Peek's great moments. Because her, like you were saying, Aaron's not my friend.
2: Finally, because I'm sitting here the whole time going, just come on, guys. And then someone finally steps in and says what I've been thinking the whole time. I do love her.
0: I do wish we'd kept the fan translation with Parish nightmare. <laughs> uh, The official changed it to now vanish, you nightmare, but I just perish, perish nightmare. I think we're all waiting for this nightmare to perish.
2: It's still pretty metal. I appreciated that.
0: It was beautiful. And her getting skewered by the Warhammer Titan was like, yeah. She's not dead yet.
1: My MVP, I think, would have to be Bertolt because he just two panels of him energized me enough to write a five page theory. <laughs> but legitimately, it's it legitimately it is peak because I just I just like that. She she's basically told um, the 104. It's screw you guys. I'm doing what needs to be done. I'm not part of Aaron's harem. I have my own harem. I'm going to blast this guy.
0: Yeah. It was amazing. You know what you were just saying? I was looking at the poll results earlier LSJ and somebody, you know, we have the section where we say, do you have any additional comments? I, I was um, just glancing through them and this one hit my eye. It said, standing Berthold Hoover isn't just a hobby. It's a lifestyle, a reason to breathe. He's also an art. The first gift you open on Christmas, a hug from a loved one. He is everything I have ever wanted, everything I needed." And I just thought seeing Bertolt this chapter, like for the warrior stands, the, the Bert fans who've waited this long, like she just kind of, whoever this person was, maybe it was you. I don't know. No, but it like, wasn't me. <laughs> one of your people. One <laughs> of my people. One um, of your people <laughs> is very happy. Yeah. Um, Bert
1: is love. Bert is life. Mm-hmm. In, in my opinion, Bert is kind of like a muse to me. I don't know if you guys have ever played, um, played the game Jack and Daxter, like the old one for PS2. There's a mission where Jack has to get the muse back for the sculptor. And that's how I see Bert. It's like without, with Bert, I see beauty in everything. But without him, I can't <laughs> sculpt anything. <laughs> and that's what leads to five page theories based off of two panels.
0: Mm hmm. I can't believe you didn't include his sweater in the theory, like he's wearing his, like, nerd sweater.
1: You know, this is so funny because I saw, um, I saw a pervy uh, Japanese comment on my Twitter feed. And they were like, oh, um, so why is Bertolt still wearing clothes when Zeke's hanging around naked in pads? And I was like, listen, just let the boy have his sweater. He's shy. He's shy. Let him wear clothes.
2: So he can make a choice. (laughs) He makes lots of choices.
0: (laughs) It's a Jaeger thing.
1: We're told He classy. He would would never.
0: Jaeger boys just do not like clothing. Although now that we're thinking about it, if everybody had to be topless in paths, like, okay. (laughs) I I mean, it could add a level of interest to the story.
1: I think it would be hilarious. Can you imagine if Armin is falling backwards and it's like, Bert's there, and he's naked, and I get—I had the first question that would come to mind. It's like, why are you naked? And it's like everyone's naked here.
0: <laughs> here, I thought we, we're going to get away without talking about Armin being taken to Aaron's ass and tentacles. Like we're going to avoid all this, but then we get into naked pads. There's so. still we—we t- do,
2: we don't have to go down that road. <laughs> yes, let's go down that road. <laughs> There's a way out
0: of this.
1: We can have survey corps swinger parties in paths if if you know everyone <laughs> if everyone uh, dressed like Zeke. But it looks like uh, it looks like Irwin has them on tight uniforms. So
0: I know now that's the classy group. The Irwin Heaven is the classy group. All right, we have gone into that territory, so let's go ahead and dive into Armin at this point. I just want to know what was your reaction when you got to that page? Like initial reaction. Was it what manga am I reading?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: Mine was spiteful cackling at first, at first, spiteful cackling. kind of like how when Aaron Aaron first kind of had these like dark thoughts, it was just like,. <laughs> but afterwards, um when I realized kind of like the implications of it, poor Ar- like poor Armin, it's. I, I don't like the guy, but no one, no one deserves that. Whatever that is, Easy he, Eziom needs to find another character to put his kinks on. All right.
0: Now I love Armin, and I thought it was hilarious. But I do love, like, I, just because it was just like, where did this come from? Why is this happening? Like, after I thought about it and realized, okay, well, you know, you you don't want to Titan to transform what you do is you immobilize their body and you stuff something in their mouth and mission accomplished. Armin is not going to transform. So it makes sense on a level like, okay, I can see why the chameleon Titan or whatever would have done this to him. But the imagery was just so unexpected.
2: Yeah, it was out of left field. And it, it mainly confused me because I was like, did I miss something? Like, where did this come? And you know, that's before we kind of realize all these other titans are coming back yeah. and i was like uh i got i'm like is that peak i'm like no but she's not there it and then i was too I, like took me a that. second i i would hope so
1: <laughs> they have to buy her lunch at least
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of threw me for a loop but i mean it's i understand it i guess um i don't know if it needed to be done like that but
1: you know, going back to Isiyama's very particular taste, I think this is probably a reference back to Berserk and that infamous scene with Casca, as unfortunate as that is. But just beyond that, just having a reference to Berserk, there is, um, there is another reference there. So Isiyama has been well known for using, uh, onomatopoeias and, uh, very inappropriate times. Um, I don't, Quite remember the name of the boxer. Um, I'm going to have to look it up um, after 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 a conversation. But um, when Armin had the tongue shoved into his mouth, he makes a noise that is the last name of a particular fighter. So um, some people were kind of pointing out, like, "Oh, maybe that's kind of like you know," as is Isiyama's just kind of uh, throwing like uh, something a little mess, like some messed up humor in there. It's like he's throwing his little inside joke and kind of laughing about it. Armin gets tentacled and boom, there's a, there's a fighter name. He's got a weird sense of so humor. So it's
0: like one of the MMA fighters? Is it, was yes. it do you know if it was one of the, oh, okay. So yes, he, it's an MA,
1: MMA fighter.
0: Ah, the noise that, the time he did that with Bert, when Bert was get, was being killed, was that also a fighter or was that just, um, that wasn't the name of a fighter, that was just like a, a noise, right?
1: Oh, actually it was the name of a fighter.
0: Wait, with Bert too?
1: Yes, with Bertolt Bert as well. He's done oh. it on several other occasions, but these two kind of particularly stand out because these are these are two specific fighters. So I kind of wonder if this is this is kind of like Armin's humiliation, but I, I don't really like thinking of it like that way. I kind of want to just say like Iciama kind of likes laughing at inappropriate moments.
0: I mean, is it possible it's his way of saying that somebody's getting in like a a knockout punch or something, you know, like if somebody was Muhammad Ali or, you know, whatever, like some, that's literally the only fighter, uh, you know, I can think of, but, you know, could it be that, that it's like a knockout punch?
1: No, I think this is Isiyama's humor coming out because he's done this on several other occasions where, where he'll have characters make sound effects that reference um, other things, like it'll be like a little silly pun. So this is this is Isiyama humor for Isayama. There was actually an interview where Isiyama was kind of laughing about the um, noise that 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 Pacquiao noise that Bert made whenever he was crunched. Um, like he was kind of laughing about that. So I kind of feel like these are like little Easter eggs for Isiyama. It's like, yes, yes, I will put this fighter in here in this incredibly inappropriate moment and have a good laugh at myself.
0: I would believe that.
2: It wouldn't surprise me either.
0: Mm. So there's one of those as, as Armin is getting tentacled. Yes. Okay. And then Armin fades into unconsciousness. And I mean, I, I, again, like this chapter's so hard to talk about because we don't know. We don't know what's happening, right? Is he dying? Is he going to paths? Is he going somewhere else? And I know, LSJ, you've got a theory about where he's going. So let me ask Brienne, what did you, I mean, do you have any theories on what's happening to Armin in this moment? Nope. <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> okay. I mean, I know. <laughs> I mean,
2: I, I feel like it's kind of weird to say we're going to get another paths conversation because I feel like that time has passed. But that's all I can honestly think of right now is got to take him out of the equation so we can talk to him. And I don't know if he's going to talk to Aaron or Emir. But besides that, I have no nothing. I am at Isayama's as well right now he He's gonna do whatever he wants to do and i' i i'm I've predicted things wrong every month, so I really am mm-hmm. just along for the ride at this point.
0: Well, I think my initial opinion was that he was gonna he was dying and going to paths heaven or whatever. but then I read LSJ's theory and now, I'm not so sure, but we will get into that in a few minutes. So, originally, I, I thought he was going to paths, and we got an ask from Paris on Twitter. Paris, again, I think was thinking along that we were as well about Armin. We saw what she thought of Armin's talk nujutsu, but do you think he will talk to her? So, I had kind of assumed that Armin was going to get into a place like maybe Emir deliberately targeted him is bringing him to the paz realm for reasons and we would have this conversation but i don't know that just none of it makes sense to me like that doesn't that doesn't make sense armin going somewhere where he can talk to somebody makes sense whether that's zeke or berthold or i mean the boy needs information somebody somebody on our on you know the alliance needs information about what to do to stop this
1: I do feel that Armin is going to uh, end up talking to someone. I don't necessarily think it's Ymir. Um, and I also don't think that Ymir was specifically targeting Armin just to speak to him. I kind of feel like she was targeting him in regards to in regards to getting him out of the way because he's currently the most dangerous to her and to Eren. And so she's grabbing him and she's taking him as far away from Eren um, as possible. So, for example, l- let's just kind of go into the logistics of it. So let's just say that um, Armin is able to injure himself and he is able to explode. That would be on the far end of Eren, near his butt. And I'm assuming that that's not where Eren's body is. And so that's not going to... And even Armin had doubts on whether or not their plan would work. So we, so that wasn't going to do enough damage, especially if he's going to go farther away, farther away out there. So I feel like Ymir is essentially playing a game of keep away. Right. So I feel like Armin will talk to someone, Um, might not be Ymir. I really am not fond of the idea of Taknu Jutsu because it doesn't fix the inherent problem with Ymir, but um, I'll I'll kind of go into that a little bit later.
0: Okay. So yeah, so the, the indication was that he was the biggest threat to Aaron. So she took him to as far away as possible to Aaron's ass, which is in the official English version. Thank you very much. Guys, we're actually having this conversation. Do you know that? Like, Armin is in Aaron's ass now. <laughs> this is our chapter, people.
1: Maybe Reiner was right. <laughs> it's, not the worst, it's not the worst thing that ECM has referenced back to.
0: It's not. But the idea that Zeke and Aaron are at, like, opposite ends of the Titan is kind of fun. Maybe Zeke is in Aaron's ass, too, and they're like, be in his ass together. I don't know. <laughs> but Armin is somewhere that he needs to be for this story to finish. So I am happy that Armin is there and I cannot wait to see what happens next with Armin. But if if OG Emir thought that Armin was the biggest threat, I don't think she's met Mikasa because holy cow, that woman carried the whole team. Like I, I was... So I know like people that love Mikasa, we've waited a long time for like something. This was good. This was very good.
2: She had a good chapter. She really did.
1: She really did. I love the imagery of the wings behind her, the wings of freedom.
2: I haven't seen anybody complain about that, but I saw it was in the poll, but I was like,
0: that was the best part. (laughs) I thought so too. There are a bunch of like crusty, salty old people that, that did not like that. Oh, did you see in the poll that we, okay, okay. You know what, guys? The poll is a lot of work. And so sometimes we like to have fun. And so the question, your thoughts on Mikasa this chapter, like I don't, I don't write a lot of the questions. I, I kind of, you know, I help out, I supervise, I make decisions sometimes, but, but really Crunch, Cloudy, and Puppet, they, they are the heroes of this chapter. But I really wanted this Mika a question about, you know, what was your thoughts about her? And the choices were, she's unbelievable. What a BAMF. They were goners without her. Bless those Acker genes, all of the above. And I refused to answer this question because I thought it'd be fun to like suss out all the Mikasa haters in the fandom <laughs> and just kind of poke at them a little bit. Because, you know, I put a lot of work into this too. I want to poke at people sometimes. You are poking had- at a
1: full hive of bees right
0: there. Uh-huh. But only 10% refused to answer the question, which I still find remarkably high. <laughs> so all of the above was um, almost 60%. We've had about 1,500 responses right now. So 60% of the people were like cheering for the girl. Uh, 10% will not have any fun no matter what Mikasa does. And I, I think the rest, what does that make? Uh, that would be 60, 70. The other 30% was a little more tempered between the other responses, but I was just so happy for this. Like I, I really love this. And and the other thing I noticed was like this was one of those areas I thought the fan translation was great this month, but the panel with Mikasa in front of the um the wings, which I agree was a great moment. The fan translation versus the official, there was a lot of discrepancy there. The fan translation was like, Mikasa, you're acting crazy. Whereas the official one was Annie talking to her, you know, Mikasa, can you just get out of the way? Like, I love the idea of Annie just using this moment just to like rip into her. Mikasa, can you just get out of the way? You know, what a great, what a great moment for both of those girls.
2: I did really like that line once I read the official and I realized who it was coming from. hmm I think that was just like, you know, shutting it down. Like, all right, I'm getting you out of here. Let's go. We don't have time for the speech. <laughs> We're getting out of here.
1: Annie said she can and will turn this Titan around.
2: I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, she, she brought um, Reiner's precious children onto a battlefield of death after he left. He left. He left her alone with them for like five minutes. She's like, Reiner, they're way too much. Here you go. Um, I know it's it's the it's the end of the world, but you know, I can't handle your munchkins. So here you go.
0: You know what? That's a really good point. Annie had one job. One job.
1: (laughs) Take care of the children.
0: (laughs) Yes. Babysit the kids. One job, Annie.
1: Annie's got the right mindset. She's, she's, everyone in this manga seems to be like, children are the future. And then Annie's like, screw the kids. I'm, I need, I need to get to see my dad.
0: Since we got on the Annie topic, I have to ask, what did you think about the ship? Do you think Kiyomi – what do you think's happened to uh, Kiyomi and Yelena?
2: I feel like Yelena's not long for this world. I don't know if we're going to get any anything else out of her. I feel like we should, but I don't know if we will. And I don't know that the ship has sunk, though. I wouldn't go so far as to say that.
1: I um, – you know, when you said the word ship – And Annie, my heart just sank. So I'm really (laughs) glad that we went in the opposite direction that I was thinking. But I'm actually kind of against the idea of this ship sinking. Because can you imagine Yelena surviving the end of the world and it's a happy ending? And she's just so salty that there's no more drama to be involved. Just like, you know, there's nothing else. It's just boredom. Um, But I can also see her kind of dying in like a Not necessarily a blaze of glory, but at least seeing something incredible before she stopped.
0: Right. Well, if she saw Falco take off, that would be a pretty incredible sight, even if it sank. I I just, I don't know that they would mention sinking the ship unless it was a possibility, but, you know, Isayama all the time tries to make us worry about things that don't ever actually happen.
1: Uh, Like those cannons?
0: (laughs) Yes, the cannons. (laughs) <laughs> Looking at Falco, though, I mean, he had room for more people. It's not like they couldn't have come along. I think that that lends credence to the idea that the ship is fine because they could have climbed on.
2: Right. And also, why would you drag those two people in a battle if you didn't have to? So they're fine. I think they're fine. I'm not worried about the ship.
1: Maybe Falco has an age limit. It's like you must be, you can't be any older than this <laughs> to ride this Titan. And the, the ship has sunk because Isayama, um can't keep any characters over the age of 20, 23 alive.
0: Yes. yes, this is a fact. So speaking of people over the age of 22, not long for this world, what about Levi?: Brian, I, like, I think in our corner of the fandom, you, know, we're definitely in the Irwin and Levi community. Half the sentiment is, "Oh good, hurry up and kill him." The other half is, "Please stop torturing this man." We got an ask from Ruby Gus. Let me me say hello to Ruby Gus first. Hey, Ruby Gus. And read her question. Do you think it was really necessary to take out Levi again? Everybody was down except Mikasa. We already know he wasn't. So what gives? Is there a twist coming that we don't know about involving Levi? Do you have any thoughts on that? What's next for Levi? I mean, I'm hoping this
2: isn't just playing into my theory of Levi is was put on this world to suffer and he will do nothing but suffer until he is old and then he'll die of old age i'm hoping that's not what's happening here i think it's maybe his way of slowly taking him out like we obviously saw that him getting blown up wasn't enough to completely take him out of the game so we had to throw him back in there a little bit and now he's like really hurt I, i don't know i don't care what it is as long as it's not him okay well now he's down two fingers possibly an eye Uh, And maybe the bottom half of his leg, depending on what happens. But he's he's going to survive it all. I would prefer that not to happen.
1: Honestly, I kind of feel like this is um, a parallel to Irwin in I believe it was uh, chapter eighty-two, Levi going through that same arc, um, kind of giving up his dream of killing, and his promise to Irwin to killed Zeke for the betterment of humanity. And I think it would also tie in really well with Kenny kind of coming to an understanding of what Uri was feeling as he passed away. So I feel like it's kind of Levi in, I I honestly think that Levi is probably going to die next chapter, is going to have a moment where he's thinking about both both Irwin, like how how he told Irwin to give up his dream and save humanity, and and about uh, Kenny, where everyone's kind of um, drunk on drunk on something, and uh, and Kenny finally coming to that that understand that full understanding of Uri at the very end.
0: Yeah, so there were two parallels or two throwbacks. Regarding Levi, and one was definitely with Irwin. And I know I saw like Lost Causes and a few other people post about it where Levi says, you know, use me as bait, which is exactly what Irwin said. You know, Levi's clearly ready to throw it away if he needs to, he'll do what he has to do. But there was also the parallel from the female Titan arc. And I don't know if you guys have seen those panels back to back, I think we had them in the poll where literally almost the exact same scenario in female Titan arc, but the roles are reversed. Uh, In that one, Levi is instructing Mikasa both times. And one time he's saying, you know, you be the distraction, I'll go do this. And this time he's saying, I'll be the distraction, you go do this. And it really felt to me like, I mean, for one thing, Levi was like shockingly chatty this chapter. The man doesn't say anything and suddenly- He spoke a lot. A lot. I mean, this was definitely the passing of the baton, I think. It felt like that.
1: It reminds me of Hanji. It's a little. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. I think everyone's kind of ready for for Levi to go, but on the other hand, the way that that it's likely going to happen, I think I think people are torn on it. Um, I think I think most people want Levi to kill that monkey. Um, he's been screaming monkey for the last couple of chapters now, and now we have the possibility that it's not going to happen. Thematically, it would fit it would fit and, and Kenny really well, but. You know, it's like, I just wanted Levi to blast Zeke one more time.
0: I know, Brianne, you wrote that huge meta about why you felt like (laughs) it was so huge. (laughs) It was, how many words was that? A little over
2: 5,000 words. Wow. Yeah, I mean, every chapter that passes, we get further from that. Um, I still want him to do it. I still don't think it's like disingenuous to his character for him to want to do it or for him to actually go through with it. Like a lot of people say, but to see him like acknowledge, I think I, I I want, I would like Levi to not survive the end of the series. Just, I want him to be able to rest, but to see him almost be aware that it's coming to an end by like giving Mikasa the direction like that, it like makes it hurt a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I wouldn't be as upset about him not killing Zeke, if it, something were to happen to him while he was fighting, unless, like, ah, I'm on the sidelines and I'm just gonna die. It hurts a little more.
0: <laughs> I, I don't see Levi ever being on the sidelines. Like, he would absolutely barrel roll into a battle if it meant knocking over one soldier. Like, you know, he literally is the knight from Monty Python kicking with whatever appendage is still functioning. I don't know. My theory is um, somebody's got to push the plunger on those bombs and that'll be Levi's final suicide mission.
2: I think my only concern with that is he can't bring himself back there. So he's going to have to convince all of these other people to turn that bird around and drop him back off. Which, I mean, it can be done. I just, it seems like the closer we get to the end, the further away we get from the action. And I just, I'm interested to see where we're going now. Um, obviously, if we're going to circle back around.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I assume that they would, I mean, what I think, what I'd, I'd like to see happen, maybe it's too idealistic, maybe it's wrong manga, is that Falco does fly to where the survivors are and we get that moment of reunion. And then... You know, Annie gets to say goodbye to her dad. Levi gets to get a message for Peek from Mr. Finger, you know, and then the Warriors and the Alliance get back on top of Falco and go back to the battle. But it does seem kind of silly to go back to the battle when they don't have a plan. Like, what are they going to do when they get there? I mean, Levi, they could drop Levi off and he could go explode the bombs, but then what? It, it's just they still don't have a plan.
1: You know, I was kind of thinking that this is kind of where Reiner might have his big, uh, Helios or Helios, however you pronounce that, um, moment. So they need someone to get Levi there and someone who can survive the blast of a bomb. Reiner says he's got one more armor titan transformation in him. Uh, bombs don't do much against his armor. And then we have that, uh, pitchfork looking similar to a spear, um, at the neck of, um, at the neck and head of, of Aaron. So it's like, I feel like possibly Reiner and uh, Levi could get a, a team up there and Reiner unfortunately surviving. I feel like my <laughs> mind, like I, I was like every single chapter until this one, I was like, Reiner's going to die. Reiner's going to die. Reiner's going to die. The suffering is going to end. But now that after this chapter, after all of the build up with his mom, I don't think that Reiner is going to die at the end anymore. I don't know if, if this chapter just brought all of this hope and optimism to me, and this is coming from someone who wanted a devil man ending where everybody dies in the most brutal way possible. But I can't see it anymore. I can't.
0: Why? Why did that change for you? Because you've been like the main proponent of a devil man ending or a muf, you know, some ending that's just like her. Like you have been cheering for that, and you said that <laughs> this this particular chapter made you optimistic for that. That, or maybe. Pessimistic that that wasn't good. I mean, you wanted you wanted a dark ending. You think it's less so now?
1: I think that a Muv Love ending is actually probably the second, uh, the first or second most likely um, ending that could happen. If I'm wrong on my theory, or uh, if some parts of that doesn't happen, I definitely feel like we are going to end up getting a Muv Love theory.
0: For people that don't know what Muv Love is, Muv Love is a series that Isayama is a huge fan of. And he cited it as an inspiration for the manga, yes?
1: Yes. So, um, Muv Love, um, and by the way, uh, make sure that you are 18 years and older whenever you start um, investigating Muv Love, because on top of it just being incredibly gory, it's also an H manga. I kind of learned that the hard way. Um, and whenever um, whenever I would pop in screenshots of um, Muv Love into different Discord servers, everyone's like, whoa, what on earth are you posting here? And it's like, no, this is manga discussion related, okay? Just ignore the, s- the sexiness. So um, going back to the important parts about Muv Love. So Muv Love is essentially a three-part series. We have um, Muv Love, Muv Love Alternative, and I can't remember the... Name of the third series, Love, Love Alternative, is the most um, is the most popular of the three. So essentially, we have our main character, and in the first game, we have a harmless harem game where the main character is in high school, and he is um, he's in high school. He basically has a boring harem life. It's cheesy. It's it's very romantic. Um, it's almost too sweet. It, it's almost too sweet. And then you later find out that this sweetness is, this sickly sweetness is done on purpose. In Muv Alternative, in the second game, he is brought back into an alternate universe where these giant alien monsters exist and they are brutalizing everyone. And so in the end of this universe, Muv Love Alternative, I believe everyone he knows dies. And then in the third game, um, he's brought back again. Um, but with all of the knowledge of the second game, and so he slowly changes events to benefit his circumstances. So in the second game, he was like a klutz. He uh, he wasn't very good at arming his robot, and so he was basically the loser among his group. In the third game, he's a complete and utter ace. He He aces everyone. He makes all these decisions to uh, save people that he loves. But because of those decisions, it actually alters their world. And so it may, it slowly gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and to the point where um, where everybody he loves has died, and in worse ways than they had died before. Ultimately, that game does end up with the character resurrecting a last time, and he's back in that harem game, and essentially, kind of like the vibe of that game is like you have several themes of resurrection.
0: He gets, he gets all these different redos. Like he just does it over and the harder he tries, the worse he makes it.
1: Yes, essentially. The harder, the harder he tries, the worse he makes it. And, um, I will link some, say, for work media about, um, Love because I feel like the theme is very applicable to SNK. So one of the endings that I feel is like the most likely is that Love theory where they end up defeating Aaron, but they don't end up taking care of Ymir or Aaron doesn't quite die and then he brings his consciences back to that tree um, where he was with Mikasa and he can start he can start things over and over and over again until he gets things right and so um, that would be kind of like this bittersweet ending you could take it as Oh, Aaron actually learned his lesson this time. He's gonna he's not gonna do the rumbling this time. Or you could take it as, oh, um, Aaron's it's gonna be even worse than it was before. Some kind of like hints that the muv love ending is uh, very likely is those shards. So the shards with like the high school AU you can kind of see it like oh yeah that's muv love and now snk is muv love alternative so let's just say like in in, like those previews um aaron is is really bored and he's hoping for a world that's more exciting when he wakes up from from his zombie dream um he's so disappointed that his world is boring and then um in those further previews he ends up meeting the goddess ymir so if you kind of take those previews in the manga and you, you kind of take those shards, you could possibly be seeing some type of muv love, love scenario. On top of that, because I know that um, people hate paths. They hate like the time loop theory. Isiyama can kind of essentially bring himself to have a series that, that, can never like you know that won't really end kind of like Eva, where we have like several movies like um every cup every couple of years or like devil man where um every series is a new cycle of that arc. that's the theory that i'm second gunning for if my th- theory doesn't end up panning out
0: so if it's in three years wanted to make more money he would just revisit the universe with one of the do-overs or w- w- what would that look like Yes.
1: Let's just say that this isn't the first time that, um, Aaron has been brought, brought back. So whenever we, whenever we see the, the two you to 2000 years, he sees an image of Mikasa telling him, see you, Aaron. You could say, like, if Izayama really wanted to, he could say, oh, there was a cycle before that. And this is Aaron dying at that moment and coming back to that consciousness. Or you could do afterwards. So, for example, let's just say that that baby is Aaron in Grisha. Aaron is brought back again, so he's got a second chance to do everything. And Isiama could make up a bunch of fun scenarios. So, for example, let's just say instead of uh, Armin getting the, getting the um, Colossal Titan, let's just say it's Erwin this time around just to just to mess around with things and see how different uh, the worlds would have been had these small decisions been made instead.
0: You know what? I, I was kind of of the camp that the baby would be Aaron, Grisha holding Aaron or Grisha holding Zeke. I didn't realize that sets up a sequel, doesn't it? I mean,
1: yes, ma'am.
2: Like, oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what's not so fun about Well, I, I guess it kind of depends on, on your perspective.
0: I mean, if the situation is taken care of, if, if OG Ymir is taken care of, if the Titans are taken care of, and then there's a reset, then that's fine. Then you know everything's okay. I kind
1: of feel like a reset won't happen if everything is taken care of.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So the baby's not Aaron. We don't want a sequel.
1: But you don't want the baby to be Ymir either.
0: I do not want the baby to be OG Ymir either. I don't want the baby.
1: I just don't want the
2: baby. <laughs> I do not disagree with that.
1: <laughs> um, Mom Taku does not want the baby. This is do a not want the baby.
0: end's on my side. You don't want the baby either. Right? I I do not want the baby. Okay. I
2: just I I'm not even going to get into that. Let's just no. yeah.
0: It's John holding Mika's baby is what that is. So, yeah, maybe.
1: Why does the baby have eyebrows like Historia and Aaron if it's John's baby? It.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> okay, where were we? Usually Luna is here like marking off topics. That way we can scroll up and down and see what has and hasn't been talked about we've we've talked a little bit about Levi did we get derailed talking about Levi we but we all just kind of like don't know what's going to happen we don't that's the problem with action chapters you just don't know it's like everything right. is speculation this was a great chapter for a poll because it's all what do you think about this what do you think about this mm-hmm. but there's no answers here this this is all speculation and speculation is hard
2: i will say though for a very action packed chapter there was a lot of dialogue that i did not expect to get Like when I, I knew we're in a battle, we're going to be in a battle for the next couple of chapters. It's just where we are. When I saw how much dialogue we had and how much like interaction we had between characters, I was surprised at the balance of it, I guess you could say.
0: That's a good point. This was one of the more balanced chapters as far as action from people. It was a great chapter for Levi. It was a great chapter for Mikasa. It was a great chapter for Jean. It was a great chapter. Like, like really how I think Isayama struggles a lot of time with like character spotlight. This one was such an ensemble effort. It was great. There was something really, really, really nice about that to see everybody get their moment. It felt good. Like, I think maybe that's why, even though this, you know, I mean, this was, they were kind of soundly defeated, they're two men down, but maybe that's why this chapter felt good to me was just that whole ensemble sense, everybody working together.
1: I think a lot of Warrior fans, uh, well, actually, no, both sides are pretty, um, have been pretty against the Alliance in in regards to how they've gotten together. I feel like Isiyama kind of um, didn't focus on the right character interactions whenever they were, they were first starting to talk to each other again, I also felt like it was kind of easy. So it was, these chapters were kind of like nails on a chalkboard to me. But I kind of felt like if, if those chapters, like, for example, say those, this was the first instance of like real camaraderie between them, I would have found it really sweet. Like I still feel it's kind of sweet. I thought that John's little callback to Hanji was, was kind of sweet. You know, they're part of the Survey Corps and they're always on the losing side. Although, on the other hand, you could also say, you know, as a salty warrior stan, um, I felt like it was basically admitting Reiner into the Survey Corps instead of the Survey Corps joining Reiner. Because um, they have essentially swapped their positions. Rein- Reiner and Annie are, you know, still on the same page that they were from the very beginning.
0: I actually, I was doing a little SNK Rewind series on You Hear Big Girls and I saw, I didn't understand where that was coming from in the comments. I published a poll from, I think it was chapter 93, a poll result where we talked about Annie. What would Annie do when she came out of the crystal? And like, I don't know, 26% said she would join the survey corps. To me, that was the right answer. Like Annie joined the survey corps, but warrior fans... Feel it's the opposite that the Survey Corps has joined the Warriors, and I had never looked at that perspective before until I saw the pushback on that poll result. Like to me, it's still the Survey Corps. I keep I keep messing up and calling it the Survey Corps and not the Alliance. Whereas you all see it as Annie and Reiner have never strayed from their mission to stop Aaron Yeager. Like that's they're still doing it, right? Is that the connection? Mm-hmm. Brianne, do you? Did you have that just dis- like- isn't I that- mean,
2: I'm having a, a revelation right now. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, but I'm also like not enough of a part of that community to to have gotten that, I guess, opinion from other people. It, it makes a lot of sense though, but then you also have to look at like, who's the, the survey core very obviously the large majority of this group at this point. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, like I had no idea it was an issue until I saw the pushback. And then I felt bad about it but at the same time, like it's still being officially led by the Survey Corps, even though they've defected. Like the Survey Corps defected, they've switched teams, and yet we're still seeing this as a Survey Corps effort. Somebody mentioned in, uh, I was in Andrew Allstar's live stream yesterday, about how weird it felt to see Reiner being surrounded by John and Connie and and all the members of the Survey Corps, like swarming around him working together, like that was hard for them to see as members, you know, as as people who side with the Survey Corps. So I guess what you're saying, LSJ, is that like it was equally as unsettling for the warrior stands to see them all coming together.
1: Yes, um, I can definitely say that because we have the giant, colossal Titan-sized elephant in the room that hasn't been addressed yet, that is Bertolt. Like, Hey, we kind of fed your best friend to our best friend, and we have not <laughs> talked about this once. It's kind of like the banana act. I swear, it's like a banana accident or something. It's just, we will never discuss this ever. I was actually kind of happy this chapter with the Colossal Titan coming back. and it, it, I guess, like, in a way, it's like Bert wouldn't be there if they hadn't killed him off, and now he's now he's back and causing them a lot of problems. I hope he causes them more problems. Let's, let's be honest.
0: Yeah, I think, I think, you know, the fact that Armin is dying and who does he see? The guy he ate. I mean, that's pretty, that's not going to end well, is it? I
1: don't know. I kind of have some, that vision kind of gave me some um, optimistic uh, thoughts about the end of this series. Uh, more optimistic than I've had in a very long time.
0: Is there anything else in the chapter that we wanted to talk about?
1: We didn't mention Connie. Yeah, Brienne, don't laugh. (laughs) Connie needs attention too.
2: I'm only laughing. I'm only laughing because of the podcast's like history with Connie and how they always like shit on him, and it's really sad. And
0: what can we say about (laughs) Connie, (laughs) Brienne? You brought this up. (laughs) What can we say? You okay? You got the mic.
2: I don't want to
0: give. (laughs) Give us the story about
2: Connie. (laughs) Connie saved Levi this chapter. Yay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. sincerely. Sincerely, yay. Connie was there. He was there. He
2: was upside down. These are the things I do not pick up on until I read the poll or get on Twitter. But they're like, oh, he's upside down like his mom. I'm like, oh, that's really depressing.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I'm glad he finally snapped out of it. Me too. Uh, Yeah. There's Connie. There's Connie. <laughs> oh, Connie. Um, the panel of Levi falling to his death almost just looks like the panel of Hanji falling, and it like yes. kind of hurt me a little bit. And then Connie swoops in. I mean, left to die another day, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. I'm just preparing myself for that.
0: All the Connie fans are very grateful to your presence here today, and I am as well. You're welcome. I think the nod to Hanji especially was really bittersweet. I think I saw somebody mention it on Twitter. You know who would have loved seeing all these Titans? Hanji. You know who would have enjoyed this? Hanji. You know who would have ended this by saying Titans really are awesome? Hanji. Guess who's not here? Hanji. Pain. Nothing but pain. Aw.
2: I must say though, as far as the callbacks are concerned, it was all I mean, like you said, some of it was like, you know, very obvious what was going on, but it was all dialogue. And mm-hmm. then you get Erwin's actual face <laughs> as if we didn't know who said those words.
0: How many times <sighs> have we had that exact panel of Erwin and those exact same words? Like this is Armin this is Armin's third time or maybe fourth? He has mentioning. haunted
2: by this man and i wrote about that too you did i mean this poor kid (laughs) he's trying Mm -hmm. he's really trying but to see erwin in the middle of all of this when everything else is just maybe it's not subtle callbacks but it's all just dialogue and actions and then you just have this panel
1: Uh, speaking of erwin and erwin's words do you think that Armin is going to sacrifice um, sacrifice something else to stop Aaron? Do you think he's going to sacrifice his his relationship and his friendship with Aaron to uh, save everyone, or do you think perhaps he's going to try to find a way around it? Since Armin has kind of been the symbol of hope, and you know, kind of like the f- the future of of the Survey Corps and of our main characters.
0: I don't know. Like, even even in this chapter, Armin was resolved to do it. He knew that exploding himself might hurt his friends. But he also knew that exploding himself wouldn't hurt Aaron, that Aaron wouldn't die from this. Like, I, I get it, right? But to see him still struggling with what needs to be done, even now, was hard.
1: Hard emotionally or hard to take?
0: I, it's hard to see it over and over. Like, Aaron... Aaron has the very best friends in the entire world, and he has done nothing to earn them.
1: Yes, he yes,
0: he has done nothing to earn this love and this loyalty and these people who genuinely want to help him. And it just hurts. It hurts to see them having so many. It's it's understandable, but you know, I just feel so bad for them. They they their only crime was not picking good best friend. You know. That's I mean, probably too They have
1: quite a few other crimes that they've committed, well. but <laughs> uh, let's not go into there. Let's just say the power of a Jaeger man, sexy sexy Jaeger man will cause um uh, the most rational of people to do some uh
0: unsavory things. Apparently. <laughs> Save us Brian, you got anything?
2: Uh no, I'm um, I mean, yeah, Armin uh, it is sad to see him have to go through this every single time. But I think he's maybe a step closer to figuring out what he needs to do or convincing himself to go through with what he needs to do.
0: It looks like he was going to do it. Like he I was, think so. He took that moment to pause. It reminded me of um, Levi took that moment to pause. You know, Like, if I can save someone, anyone – And And look
2: what happened. And
0: look what happened. Armin takes that one second to say, you know, a soliloquy to Aaron, write his little love letter to Aaron one more time, and look at what happens. Like, do not pause ever when you are dealing with a Jaeger, period. Well, this is a good time to take a break. Let's take just a few minutes. We'll be right back. And LSJ, it's time to talk about your theory. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So, LSJ, we've been kind of teasing that, you know, this chapter inspired you, that it inspired you to write a theory that kind of added to the Norse elements of the chapter that most of us have accepted. And I know you got that on Reddit today and you've gotten a really good reaction. But I thought since we have you as guest, why don't we just kind of go through it and talk about um, how this chapter? has changed things for you as far as what you think is happening, particularly what's happening with Armin. The basics of, I, I know um, during the break, Brianne, we were, you were saying that you really are not into like the Norse, the Norse mythology of this.
2: It's not that I don't want to be, it's that I just have no idea. I have no background in that at all. So I find it very interesting, but I lost when it comes to anything like that.
0: Yeah, I am too. And the only reason I know anything about it is because Luna plays Final Fantasy and apparently this is in there. So the big thing is that tree, the Yggdrasil, which I don't, I never know how to say correctly. LSJ, go ahead if you would, and just start us out with the whole, like, the basics. Yggdrasil, the thing with Yggdrasil.
1: Yggdrasil in Norse mythology, essentially this uh, tree of life. There are nine realms um, in this tree, and at the bottom, there are three separate wells. Um, As we can see throughout the chapter, especially chapter 122, we have this tree, um, the Titan tree, that has all these references to Norse mythology. So if we look at that Titan tree, the body of the trunk, it's in the shape of a man and a woman. And it kind of refers back to, um, to that old, um, Norse myth, um, where Odin created the first humans, um, out of the, um, after Yggdrasil. And there's also like, um, as I've mentioned before, like those nine, those nine different realms. We've seen what paths looks like. We've seen like the number of Titans that we have. There are Paths has nine branches for the nine titans, and Yggdrasil has nine different realms. So my theory is kind of going a little deeper into that Yggdrasil mythology. So Yggdrasil has those nine realms at the very top of the life branches, but at the very bottom, it has three separate realms. And my theory is, what if there's another realm underneath Paths?
0: And so your theory involves something called Mimir's Well or is it Mimir? How do you pronounce that?
1: I am not I am actually going to butcher these as as much as you are. Okay. As much as you are Montaku. I'm just going to call it Mimir.
0: So in Norse mythology there is this Mimir's Well and it's underneath Yggdrasil, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So your theory is that when Ymir fell into that tree. She felt she could have fallen into Mimir's well. And now Armin is doing the same?
1: Yes. Yeah, so when I was kind of comparing the two panels, we've seen several instances of what paths look like this, this very bright, sandy place with a large open sky. However, this doesn't necessarily look like it. It honestly reminded me closer of um, chapter 122, where Ymir is falling back into the tree. And it made me wonder if perhaps. Armin isn't going back into, into paths. What if, what if there's another realm outside of just paths? And that's exactly what Armin is falling into. So you might be wondering like, why is this important? Or this seems kind of like a wild stretch. There's actually quite a few little hints here and there that there might be something beyond just paths, or there might be some type of afterlife in this series. Um, just kind of digging in a little deeper. Um, in chapter 122, there was a splash text. And the splash tech is written by the editor and it doesn't show up in the final version of the product. It's only in those first release. For chapter 22, um, this splash tech just really kind of stood out to me with the idea that possibly there's something more to just the nine branches and to just paths. That splash text indicated underneath this world full of pain and suffering exists another world which light cannot reach. And that same chapter Ymir falls into the well, and she gets connected with the parasite inside the tree. So that, for me, seems like it was, um, it was very literal.
0: So why did you connect that with Ymir's well? What is it about mythology behind that, that that makes you think that that's a good fit? Because it exists underneath Yggrazil?
1: So essentially what kind of brought me to that conclusion is that Ymir, the character, despite her name, actually has a lot of connections with uh, Odin from Norse mythology. So let's go into the, the- just the general myth for Ymir um, as well. In that myth, Odin sacrifices an eye of his um, Tumamir to drink from the Well of Ultimate Wisdom. In that same chapter, 122, uh, Ymir has an eye gouged out before she falls into that that Titan source. Mm -hmm. Some other connections between Odin and Ymir is um, the spear getting stabbed by the spear. That happened to Odin as well. As well as like Ymir and Odin, Odin was the one who created the first humans out of Yggdrasil. And then now we have here Ymir as a creator in and of herself. So I feel like there are a lot of ties between Ymir and Odin. So this kind of led me to the idea if um, Ymir is falling into a well after an eye has been gouged out, um, which, is a, which is a very clear reference to Odin. Why can't this be a possibility? We've never, ex- we've never had that parasite actually explained. We don't know what that area is, but we just know that it's underneath paths. And if we take that in consideration with the uh, splash tech, that there's a world underneath our own, it seems more likely that there is something underneath there.
0: You think that this world underneath is where the Titan shifters are?
1: Yes, um, I would say that um, I am definitely leaning towards that idea. And the thing that kind of brings me uh, towards that idea that, this is where the Titan shifters um, actually are. Is the panels of Bertolt. So Bertolt is a character who has a lot of symbolism behind him, a lot for human despair, suffering, and he does have some some Norse mythology ties of his own with Odin in particular, actually. So I kind of want to just bring up first the the two visions of uh, Bertolt and kind of compare and contrast them. So in chapter 85, Armin sees a skeletal version of the colossal titan. Um, he cries out of one eye and he tells Armin that he hurts. In chapter 135, we see that again, Bertolt is still crying out of the same eye. So that kind of per- in particular just kind of stood out to me. Why is Bertolt crying and why is he only crying out of one eye? Why does he say that it hurts? Kind of just digging into some further symbolism with Bertolt. Bertolt has been, um, associated with the Hanged Man from um, tarot and Norse mythology a couple times in this manga. And a lot of people, you know, it, it kind of, it's, it's an obvious reference that Bertolt told as the Hanged Man. A lot of people just kind of think about the tarot card, what that means. The tarot card itself means great personal sacrifice for the sake of something greater than yourself. Putting your life on the risk for something uh, beyond yourself when it's, um, when it's upright. Um, it means the opposite when reversed. However, the important thing about that card is not the meaning itself, but the actual myth behind it. So that myth that that hanged man on um on the card is actually a reference back to Odin in the poem uh, Havamal, Odin hangs himself from a tree and that tree is most like is uh, most commonly known as Yggdrasil. He hangs himself as a human sacrifice to himself while still remaining alive, he suffers all this pain and hardship as a transcendent consciousness for nine nights. So um, the key words here are transcendent consciousness. So Odin suffered as a consciousness beyond himself. And then we have Bertolt here telling us, um, who has associations with Odin and with the hanged man, telling us it hurts. It honestly seems like this is kind of like Kind of very telling that saying that Bertolt still has some type of consciousness un- out there. So um, just kind of thinking about that, Bertolt's suffering, I was looking through the panels and I noticed that there was this one panel where Bertolt and Ymir have the same expression. So in 122, the, the scene right before Ymir falls into the well is her expression is exactly the same as Bertolt's um, in the instance that he first shows up in 135. Um, there is kind of like a special caveat between the two. So Ymir has an eye gouged out. Bertolt does not, and yet Bertolt cries out of only one eye, out of the one good eye. Like for example, the one good eye that Ymir has. So it makes me wonder: Is Bertolt suffering like Ymir suffers? And if this is the case, is this is this what's happening to all Titan shifters?
0: That's the thing. Like when you pointed out the fact that Bertold is crying out of the one eye that was uninjured when Emir was escaping, like it's the eye that she can cry out of as well. Like that is creepy. And that again, this is on Reddit. We'll link to it where they can see the screenshots that the picture of Emir and Bert, like it's strikingly similar. And it, you know, I mean, obviously we're supposed to make the connection here. And then the hanged man, I just want to back up to that real quick. That's a lot of that came from Bert's sleeping posture, right? With his legs in the air, crossed, his hands behind his back. I mean, these are not these are not new fandom ideas. These are ideas that we've had in the fandom for a very long time, for good reason.
1: Yes, and actually, recently we just had a um, this adorable little keychain of Bertolt in the hanged man position as well. So it is something that people as- heavily associate with his character.
0: So what's different about this theory is that now that we know or that we suspect that we that these titans have some consciousness, you think that they are basically all in the same place as Emir, suffering as Emir suffers.
1: Yes. Is that okay? Yes. Um, to kind of go into that, I, I kind of feel like they're all suffering alongside uh, with her let's look at all the Titan shifters that came up in this uh, chapter, all of those, all of the new ones that were created by Ymir. So if my theory is correct, they're all suffering alongside her still, and they aren't able to get any peace. And I felt that this kind of like elevated the stakes to this series. So it's not just a battle for, for humanity on earth. It's also a battle for, for the release of suffering of the people who have already
0: died. And Armin is dying, so he's going to this place.
1: I kind of feel like it's either Armin is fading, Armin is dying, or perhaps Bertolt's despair, which is also a kind of like a huge theme with him and with Reiner and with Aaron, kind of like reached out to him. I'm not sure. I think most likely I'm leaning more towards like Ar- Armin is fading. Armin's okay. near death but um, the reason why I kind of feel like this is important, Armin states that he feels like Ymir is invincible. For all intents and purposes, we we know that that's to be right. That kind of had me thinking, what makes Ymir invincible? What makes Ymir invincible is that connection to the Titan Parasite. Since that connection, she's never had a moment of rest. She's always ended up She's always been a slave um, further than she had been um, from from the very beginning. And we know that she's been enslaved in her afterlife. But just kind of looking at the panels of paths, I kind of wonder if perhaps that eating of Ymir, that that first one is actually what created paths in the first place. And this is why eating another Titan shifter is such a sin. So it's that item, that object, I feel like it looks like a parasite. And I'm going to continue referring to it as such. So if it's a parasite, can't it get passed along to other things?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What if they're all just connected to Ymir that way? Isn't it strange that the, the way to pass on the Titan power is by eating the spine? The same spine that that parasite attached itself to Ymir? A lot of people have been kind of wondering about, uh, about the finale. And a lot of people have been thinking, oh, Aaron is going to get killed or the connection between him and Ymir is going to end. Or Armin is going to talk to Ymir and convince her to stop. But that doesn't stop the suffering of, th- of the deceased. That doesn't stop Ymir suffering. It doesn't stop Bertolt suffering or any of the other titan shifters there. So you've added a raised stake. So I wonder, instead of, instead of talking to Ymir or killing Aaron. I wonder if there's a third option. That's what my theory is proposing. My theory is that by destroying that location or by severing the connection of Ymir to that, um, to that parasite in the first place, um, that could actually end the Titan curse. There is no, no muv Love possible ending. There is no Ymir and the rest of the Titan shifters still suffering in that, um, in that realm, wherever it is. If you break the connection to that parasite and that that parasite that's still in the well in paths, um, it it could honestly stop everything. And then finally, just kind of one thing I wanted to add to my theory. If Ymir is finally freed, like she's finally allowed to die and her, her soul is at peace, I think that could tie into Historia's baby. I know you don't like it, Mom, but I think it's a huge possibility that if Ymir is finally freed she could be resurrected as Historia's baby who will be called Ymir. And the whole idea of the Yummy Curry Romance was so that Historia had someone that she loved enough to give that name to her child.
0: So you have me up until that point. (laughs) Like I, yeah, I just don't see why OG Ymir gets a do-over. That's always been my sticking point with that. Like if I was OG Ymir, I would just want to die. I'd want to be, the freedom would be death. Like in this in this manga, death has not been viewed negatively. It's been viewed as, you know, a place of rest. Erwin, you know, it's time to let him rest. Hasn't he done enough? Hanji met it with a brave face. Like the characters don't cry when they die. They accept it very stoically. They've done their job. It's time to pass it to the next generation. It's time to rest. You know, I like I like it, right? I like it, but I just feel like if that connection is severed, if the curse goes away, I would just think like all the other shifters who've been suffering. Just let them rest. Let Emir rest too.
1: Okay, I can deal with that. As I can, I can totally go for that as well. And the reason I'm I'm more like pushing towards this baby being Emir, and not Aaron uh, getting resurrected is because that love theory that that Aaron coming back coming back. So I feel like if that connection isn't severed. There is a huge possibility of that muv love, love ending happening, but I am also mm-hmm. totally okay with um, Ymir just dying and all of those souls, um, all of those souls finally being at rest. Because um, I, I feel like we also have we also this title the title of this chapter is also called the Battle of Heaven and Earth. We have now added a new stake to to the rumbling and to this whole war. We have all the souls of those people who. Um, all the souls of the people who have died. And I, I particularly mean the Titan shifters. I feel because they are deeper, deep, more deeply connected to that parasite, to to that Titan shifting power. They are in a separate area than where Hanji um, Hanji, and Erwin are. I feel like they are in an actual afterlife. And then whatever Ymir and the others are, they're just kind of stuck. And that's, that's kind of um, another reason why I'm just pulling that idea that it is, that is connected to Mimir's will.
0: Hmm, it's good. Yeah,
1: it's a happy well, it's, ending. And it's
0: uh, <laughs> well, it's a happy ending. Everybody dies, but yay, happy ending. Not <laughs> everybody is still suffering. But I know when you were telling us about it in the Discord, Emir describing even her mindless oh, Freckle. Emir describing her mindless Titan form as being a nightmare. I mean, it's obvious. That people who are in their Titan form are suffering, like even whether they're alive or dead. I mean, while we're, while they're alive, they're certainly suffering. So if they're still suffering in death, then that's then that's something too.
1: There's something else that I really like about this theory. If this theory is correct, and the true way to end the uh, Titan the Titan curse is to break that initial connection of the, that parasite to Ymir. It kind of deals with like there's kind of like a me- there's a metaphor a little bit there. There is, there's not really like a, a true villain in that case. If, if you argue the fact that Ymir has been suffering all this time and she's wait, she's been waiting for someone to save her. In that case, the true villain of the series would be generational trauma, which I. I mean,
0: be the parasite, right? I yeah, mean- a
1: parasite, but it would kind of like, it's like you never fixed the problem in the first place. And that's why all this suffering continued. So if you address the problem, the suffering stops.
0: The only thing is if she's been focused on Aaron all this time to get Aaron to her, it would seem like Aaron would be the one that would break the, you know, he'd be the one to like kill the parasite or something. You know, whereas in this scenario, I don't know, we've kind of looked at other people as being the ones who are going to solve this story. Reiner, Armin, you know, if it is severing that connection with the parasite, I don't know. It, it I like it.
1: As much as I hate to bring this up, because I don't like the idea of Armin being the savior of the world, but that if that were to be in con- conjunction with all of the parallels with uh, Reiner, I feel like I would be okay with it. Um, for example, say that Reiner's the one who actually kills Eren, like um, like the Helios, you know, helping Levi uh, detonate the bomb, and then Armin's the one who takes care of like Eren like, um, in Paths. I think I think it would be okay with that, kind of like a joint effort.
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: I also feel like the final battle, there's, in, that pan, in the, pan, the second chapter, 2,000 um, Years to You, we see Eren speaking to Mikasa as a child. So I feel like there, there has to be some part of that battle that's in paths. Oh, yeah. It, there has to be something more to paths than just, um, than just what we've seen so far.
0: Well, and it, it's, it's like the, the group is divided now, right? We've got Armin in one place. We've got people, you know, maybe it is a two-pronged approach. Maybe somebody is taking care of paths and maybe somebody else is taking care of, you know, this, this dark location under the world. You know, maybe it is a two-pronged approach happening here. I mean, my thought was that Armin was in paths or heading to paths, but I think that there's a lot of credence, especially considering that splash text on 122 about the realm underneath. I mean, that's, 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 you know, and then we talk about the battle of heaven and earth, if that is the realm underneath, and that's the earth.
1: Another thing to think about, you know, if that Titan cycle doesn't get broken, Historia's baby is going to be the first new Titan shifter. We have three new babies, three, two or three babies. I don't know. I lost count of how many babies we have in this series, but Babies. We have a bunch of babies. We have a bunch of Titan shifters in danger. We have a lot of potential children who could suffer the same fate as um, as the t- the rest of the Titan shifters.
0: So, if your theory is right, then um, my freckled Emira is in there suffering too, right?
1: Yes, she <laughs> oh. and Bertold can be suffer buddies. And I don't know if They're she's naked buddies. or if she's wearing like uh, <laughs> wearing a sweater.
0: At least they've got good clothing in <laughs> At least the they've got as well. Good yes. Yes. Interesting. All right.
2: Yeah. That's. Wow. <laughs> <What> <laughs> I mean, I think don't. About it, I Brienne? can't argue with any. I, that's. It's the strongest thing I've ever heard to, an ending or, you know, a prediction of how this is going to end. I've always had the idea, as far as the baby is concerned that maybe we're kind of supposed to believe by seeing that final panel or whatever that it's going to be a happy ending there's a baby and all this stuff but I've always kind of looked at it as like almost like an inception kind of ending like from the outside from the character's perspective everything looks good but we as a reader see one thing that just looks a little off like maybe the baby's eyes are shiny or like maybe we know that you know a titan died somewhere and like the baby's actually a titan but the characters don't know about it and we see it and then it ends like that's oh.
0: <laughs> that <be> really sad. <laughs> okay. oh it's Historia's baby they're holding Historia's baby and then its eyes do like the Warhammer Titan lighty thing and then, and then it ends it's a- oh.
2: but we know but they don't kind of one of those
0: <laughs> and they're all happy now you're free and we see the eye lighty thing and we're like no 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 that's not free I hate both of you <laughs>
1: I gave you a happy ending, okay? You did. A happy well, you, ending for you. You're me. telling
0: me you're telling me my girl's suffering. So But yeah, I mean ultimately this series my ending, my ideal ending is the Titan Curse ends, period. Done. So however that happens, I say that, but watch us see I'm gonna make that bad too, you know? But yeah, somehow somehow the Titan curse ends. And if and, and I liked I really liked the part of your theory about how, you know, this is a parasite. And they're eating it. They're spreading the parasite. Like that yeah. Like if if Emir's if three daughters had not consumed her, this never would have happened. They ate the parasite. So they spread the parasite. Like that was the sin, right?
1: Yes. I think it was in twenty sixteen or maybe it was twenty eighteen. The the guidebook after chapter eighty four. Isayama had mentioned that eating someone was a great sin or like the greatest sin that you could commit in a, in the attack on Titan world. So that kind of led me to think like that ultimate sin is what caused mm-hmm. all of this pain and suffering. Like Ymir could have died with that parasite inside her. Also something to point out because
0: birds, birds, birds,
1: we have so many, we have so much bird imagery, but you know what birds are really amazing at eating the dead. There is <laughs> parasite ridden rats with Feathers, but like, <laughs> but like, it gave me the idea. Like the the idea of the parasite. Really, um, I thought of birds, and then I thought of like the parasites that they they spread. That's what kind of led me to think the thing inside the Mimir um, the well is um, is a parasite itself. It's just getting spread uh, to all these people, and then in the openings and stuff, like for Attack on Titan, you see all of these birds. Like I think it's in the n- newest anime, and they're all falling to the ground. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We did ask on the poll, like, has that focus on birds in the anime O-P-E-D added evidence to the birds being significant in the previous chapters? Do you remember like three chapters ago when we were all just like, why are those (laughs) birds watching? Why are those birds? And we're all just like, ha ha, bird theory. But then we get this anime O-P-E-D, which is just like, look, birds, look, birds turning into people. Look, birds dying. Look, more birds. Like, it's just like, okay, we get it. We get it. Look at the birds. <laughs> and didn't Odin, going back to the Norse mythology, wasn't the raven his eyes? Like,
1: Yes, he had to, um, I think it was wisdom. I think it was like wisdom or vision or wisdom and knowledge. Or no, vi- it was vision and memory. Um, they would go around the world. They would go around the world looking, scouting out for Odin. And is associated with Odin. Oh, bird
0: theory. Bird theory. Bird theory.
1: The birds are Ymir's eyes. Oh, I didn't think of that. That's, yeah, that's new.
0: add Add it to the Norse mythology. Yeah. So, yeah, it all comes together. Well, we did have one more question from our friend Paris about chapter 135. He said, this chapter made me dizzy and scared. When Isayama said he wanted to hurt us, Armin getting tongued is what he meant. My God, face with medical mask, face screaming in fear, see all the various evolutions of the nine titans finally gave us that payoff from the season two OP. So I wanted to, I like that season two OP is in the back of my mind all the time. The one with the dinosaurs and the, and the whale. And the whale. Uh huh. Yes. Do, do we think, do we think, that this reveal of all the various Titan evolutions, are we getting the payoff on that season two OP? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I mean, I can't imagine what else it meant to see the running of the animals, but maybe this was it. I don't know.
1: Partially. I think Ymir does have probably some type of connection to animals, but I I think like some of these, some of these animals could represent Particular events, so let's kind of look at the colossal titan and whales. The whale was uh, the most one of the most prominent animals in that second op opening, and then we find out uh, we find out that the colossal titans can actually swim like whales. And um, Isayama, in an interview, he specifically indicated that uh, Ber- he made Bertolt's eye to look like a whale's eye, like very heavy lidded. So that that idea was always there. The Colossal Titans could swim um, and clearly quite well. Michael yeah. Michael
0: Fels would be jealous. Do you think, Brian? do you think that this was a season two OP reference?
2: It's hard to not see it. Yeah. But I don't know if I go so far as to say that, but it's definitely the first thing I thought of was like, oh, we're finally getting yeah. the payoff from that.
0: The first time we saw that OP, I was just like, huh? Huh? And I kind of had the same thought as you, like seeing this. It's like, huh, hmm. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's time to develop it any further. But if that's what that meant, then uh, then maybe so. Anyway, thank you, Paris. Thank you, Monica So. Thank you, Ruby Gus, for your questions. We appreciate so much you guys interacting with us on the podcast. So that finishes our manga discussion. All we have left is the quick fire from our friend Polka who so kindly provided one again and I think both of you know how this goes. I'm going to say two names and you're just going to arbitrarily pick one based on some criteria that's known only to you. And our order will be um, Brienne, LSJ, and then me. And since I know you guys are getting tired, we'll do this quickly. I feel like okay. I'm going to
2: curse a lot. I'm just
0: <laughs> Go for it. You've you've shown remarkable restraint. Okay, here we go. Armin versus Reiner.
2: Uh, I knew this was going to be hard. Uh, Reiner.
0: Reiner. That's, that's not even a hard one. Reiner. Annie's dad versus Reiner's mom.
2: Annie's dad.
1: I'm starting to like Karina because of my horrible mother-in-law
0: headcanons, but that's it. The legitimate answer is Mr. Leonhardt. <laughs> and that makes it unanimous. I go with Annie's dad as well. John versus Connie. Jean. John. 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 Jean. Falco versus Gabby. Oh God. Falco. Gabby. Gabby. Annie or Peak? Peak. Uh,
1: if it's if it's pre-time skip, then it's it's Annie, but post time skip it's peak. It's it's gotta be peak <laughs> for me. Poor Annie. She deserved better than to be waifu bait.
0: I pick peak. Aaron or Zeke? Oh no can i just not answer this question nope. Nope. Aaron or Zeke? <laughs> oh god i oh man i know it hurts doesn't it i don't want to oh god aaron <laughs> it hurts your pain as you say that
1: <laughs> i'm picking an aaron in leather pants <laughs> oh
0: aaron in leather pants are we allowed to do that yes <laughs> And I am gonna say Zeke because Mom, talk. I know, no, my I know, oh my God. Aaron I can't, disappointed me. I gotta leave. I know, <laughs> wow. I know. You know everybody does those character ranking lists. Yeah. Aaron's on the bottom of I'm, I'm so angry at him.
2: I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from though, but mm. I can't as much as I hated Zeke for I know ever, I just can't I understand, but I can't I can't do it
0: i know I, I i know it took me a while to get here but here we are like it's like awful or awfuler which one do you want oh but i
1: like both of them so much i know you do <laughs> i love Aaron. i love
0: anakin sky Aaron. <laughs> okay historia or mikasa mm, mikasa mikasa but only post time skip yeah. And for me, now it would be Mikasa. All right. And this is why, this is why Polka is sometimes like, yeah. Polka gave us fake pregnancy or Willie is Armin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what am I supposed to pick the most believable crack I, theory? I, the,
0: the criteria is up to you.
2: Now I, I've never heard of the Willie is Armin.
0: Armin, Reese, Tiber, Ackerman. You've never heard these theories? Brienne, Brienne. I haven't been here that long. Okay. Armin is related to everybody in Attack on Titan. Every theory the last six years has been Armin is a Reese, Tiber, Ackerman. Yes. Willie is Armin.
2: Oh, man. Well, I've been staunchly team fake pregnancy. So uh, we're going to go with that.
1: Fake pregnancy just seems a little sexier to me. So let's go with
0: that. Mm -hmm. Fake pregnancy. Okay. Levi or Anyang Kapon? Levi. 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 Episode one of season three, part two, <laughs> versus episode one of season four. Um, oh I my. would need a reminder. I, of need, I literally was then. about to say. What? what was the first episode of RTS? The first episode of RTS versus the first episode of Marley.
2: I love RTS. I can't not. And also like, Gabby and Falco kind of get on my nerves
1: I'm gonna have to say um, Marley because Mappa animated Reiner's ass so well (laughs) I did not watch either of these seasons so I don't know what either um, what either episode pertains but I just just that animation like Mappa all the way
0: I am just gonna because I can't even remember what episode one of season three part two was but I know I loved I love the episode on Sunday. So I'm going to go, and, and I also love Mapa Studio. So I'm going to go with uh, Marley. So then Polka sent us some dead people quick fire. So <laughs> this is quick fires, dead people round. Colt versus Porco. 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 Magath versus Shadis. Shadis. Magath. Shadis. Nile or Pyxis. Pixus. Niall. Niall. Erwin or Hanji? Erwin. I'm going to say Hanji. And obviously for me, Erwin. Udo or Sophia? Sophia, I guess. I have no reason for that answer. <laughs> I like Udo. He's cute. I'm going to go with Sophia because her sass game is just on fire. So I think that finishes our Chapter 135 discussion. First of all, I'd like to thank our Patreons who take care of our hosting, our equipment, and also our subscription to our podcasting service. Thank you so much, Simon, Taryn, Kenny, Ann M, Sylarana, Tom and Ruby Gus. We appreciate it more than you can say. If you would like to support the podcast, we do have a Kofi and a Patreon, but we also really appreciate just when people share the podcast with their friends or leave us a comment. I also really want to thank my guests, my guests, because Luna's not here with me. Brienne and LSJ, thank you so much for being here and making it feel good, even though I'm missing Luna. Thank you guys both so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And finally, I get to say the closing catchphrase for the first time in two and a half years that I've never said before. We hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. Thank you for offering your hearts and your ears and see you next time. Bye. 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 And now for the first time, I have to do the closing catchphrase. Guys, why do I have to do it? We can share the burden. (laughs) Not having Luna here has been like, you know, missing a body part. All right. I'm going to do it. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Thank you for offering your hearts and your ears and see you next time. I hate it.